Hi guys, I wanted to jump on and let you know before the episode starts that we will be covering some topics today that may be triggering for some people. So in Jacqueline's episode, we do talk about infertility and miscarriage and loss, among many other things. But if you're in a season where you're not quite ready to hear about her struggles, please just sit this one out. We want to make sure you knew about this before the episode starts for any of our listeners that aren't quite ready for that message today. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I'm so excited for you guys to meet my friend, Jacqueline Brennan, today. I've known Jack for about a decade now, and I met her when I was living in Chicago. She was teaching Pilates, and I was personal training. And our friendship really sparked because we had a love of working out, and we also loved to run together as we trained for a half marathon. In this episode, we're going to talk about everything from marriage to infertility health to owning a business. We're going to tell Jacqueline's story. So my friend, please introduce yourself for our listeners and tell them more about what makes you, you. Thank you guys so much, first of all, for having me and letting me share my my story on your podcast. Um, your podcast is wonderful and I'm, I'm very honored to be on. Um, I, like Amy said, I've known her for a really, really long time. And when we met, I was teaching Pilates at a studio in Chicago um, with no real like plan of what was beyond teaching Pilates at the time. Um, And I came from an athletic background. I was running marathons. Like Amy mentioned, we were both training for a half marathon and we did a couple Ragnar relay races. Um, And I fell in love with the practice of Pilates as a way to, for myself, stay healthy amidst training really hard for marathons. Um, And then I saw it as a way for my clients who were already healthy to elevate their fitness. Um, And for those who were injured or coming back from injuries to learn about how to fully integrate um, their body Um, and not just look at Pilates as like a supplement to working out, but also its own form of fitness, um, and really a holistic approach to, to movement overall. So, um, teaching Pilates, I've been doing it now for, oh my goodness, 13 years. Isn't it crazy to say stuff like that? (laughs) It's wild. Um, and yeah, I, I worked at a studio and then the studio was shifting around the same time that I was pregnant with my son, who's three. And my husband had this vision for, me to own a studio. I didn't think I ever wanted to own a studio. And he has a love for coffee and people always want to hang out after class. It's really a community type of thing, right? You make friends with people in class and oftentimes Pilates spaces don't have that. You kind of walk right in. So he had the idea to put the two concepts together. Um, It was really his brainchild and he kind of pushed me into doing it and, and opening a studio when we had a four month old. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy. And 
as we were saying right before we started recording, it feels like a lifetime ago that we met and were friends there in Chicago. And I remember um, that you and Ryan were just about to get engaged. And I was actually going through a breakup. And then in a few months, I was telling you that I was leaving our running partnership and moving to Madison for this new guy, Drew. So it's really been a minute. But I wanted to get started by talking about marriage. Uh, I know that it is some there's issues that people deal with that are not really talked about that much. And those are the types of things that we want to bring to light on this podcast. So I know that one thing for you and Ryan that you faced very early on was growing up with different religious backgrounds, you being Jewish and him being Catholic. Now, 10 years later, I want to know how has this played out over the years, um, especially now that you guys have a little one and another one on the way? So that conversation between us came up from the get-go. I think first or second date, we started talking about religion. Um, And I was raised, my my parents are both Jewish. My grandparents, my mother's parents were both Holocaust survivors. Um, So it's something that's really important to me. I would say I'm not not somebody who is a practicing um, Jew. I don't go to temple regularly. Um, but I find that the actual like cultural beliefs and religious beliefs are really important. Um, and my husband grew up Catholic and his parents are very religious. Um, and he also was somebody in his adulthood who wasn't practicing. So upon meeting and dating, we talked about, you know, it's very important to us to have religion, religion in our life, but it might look a little bit different. It might be that we don't take our son to church or synagogue every weekend, but that we use the teachings we learned through our childhood to influence the way he sees the world, treats other people. Um, and that's going to continue to evolve. The biggest understanding that we both had is that it was really important to us and important to our families And that we need to find ways to continue to honor that without kind of pushing it to the side or making one of our religions more important than the other. I love that you shared that and that you guys had, I remember that. I remember you guys having those conversations so early. And I think that's a huge takeaway for people that are in that season is like some of these big, big issues are not going to go away. So why don't we face them head on and see if this is something that we can both live with for hopefully ever? <laughs> exactly. I I really believe in straight talk. Um, and if it was something that wasn't going to work, that's okay. If, if somebody needed to be with somebody else who was Catholic, I, I 100% understand. I just wanted to know from the beginning, um, not so I wasn't wasting my time. I mean, I was 22 years old looking back, (laughs) I was a child. Um, but I think having those conversations early on are really important to kind of set up balance from the beginning. Um, and have an understanding before you start getting into a place where it might get really messy and, and then there'd be a lot of heartbreak and, you know, anger involved. And now with your son and some, another little guy in the way, you're having another little boy, right? A little girl. A little girl. Oh gosh, I didn't, this is breaking news to me. Where? <laughs> a little girl. A little girl. Oh my gosh. This is so exciting. Okay. So what are the biggest differences, not just with religion, but any other differences in marriage from before having kids and then marriage now that you have children and another one on the way? So 
we we have a really wonderful relationship. My husband is very, very helpful. Um, before we had our son, he worked a corporate job in marketing, sports marketing, and I taught Pilates and we had this really nice balance. You know, I would teach, you know, during the week, in the mornings, one night a week, uh, and then on the weekends I would teach Saturday mornings. And then we had a lot of, a lot of time together and we traveled, we did a lot together, but you know, when you have two jobs that are very separate, you have kind of your own own lives. And then you have this life together. The same time that we were having our son, we opened a business together, which transitioned us from having two different lives where you're together to raising a child together and now owning a business together where we essentially are together 24 seven. Um, and then bring quarantine and and COVID into them. People are like, you know, wanting to, wanting a little bit of space from their spouse. I'm like, it's not that different for us. Um, we spend a lot of time together. And the biggest things when we had our son um, with marriage that kind of had to come in your podcast with the psyched mommy. Oh my gosh, if I would have listened to that pre William, it could have, everyone needs to listen to that. It could have really helped resolve some things, but is finding time for yourself and time to be with your partner is the biggest challenge. And that's taken us a while. Um, I always say if like exercise wasn't a part of our lives, we would have no fights. (laughs) Our biggest thing is trying both to find time to exercise, which is what makes us happy and makes us sane. Um, And that has been our biggest challenge, but finding that time. And for me, it's waking up at 5.50 in the morning and doing it before I see clients and it puts me in a good headspace. And then I'm ready to tackle the day. And for him, it's a bit about negotiating and he doesn't like exercising at night, but it's at night now. Um, And when we can, we do it together at nap time. So it's really just, you know, that compromising, but also having open communication about like, what is important for you? What's going to make you happy. Um, And that's, that's where we're constantly still finding balance. Um, But I think we're in a, in a pretty good place now. Oh, I can completely relate. It's like there's just a not enough time in the day for all of us to be taking care of these little people, doing our jobs, um, taking care of ourselves, and then finding time for the couple part yeah. too. It's 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 a lot. I think anyone can agree on that. I do want to dive a little bit further into Pilates and Coffee, which is located in Roscoe Village. Um, in Chicago. So you guys, I listened to your episode on the Business Families podcast, which was such an insightful listen. I'd love to hear, A, how it came that you two would go into business together. And I think you spoke about that a little bit, but was he having to twist your arm or did it start to sound like a good idea? And then B, what's the best part about owning a business with your spouse? And then maybe what's the most challenging? He, he did have to twist my arm a little bit. I, I don't know. I had these visions of like that we could just pick up and kind of go that as you know, a fitness professional, like Amy, when you moved to Wisconsin, I think you got a personal training job yeah, uh, pretty easily. Um, and yes, it takes time to build clientele, but it's something that you can be transient. Um, and so I was not sure that I wanted to really tie down in Chicago. And then when you have a kid, things start to change he had seen the community I had built over, you know, the past 10 years really grow. Um, and so he wanted me to have a space to have that. It was really him. Um, 
And then, you know, he started putting plans together. And when we traveled, we always went to coffee shops because that's his love. And I'm really big into aesthetics. And I think the aesthetic part of it and getting to plan out my own space was really a big part of it. And a couple of the teachers I worked with and one who's a dear friend of mine, I just wanted to really give them a space as well to teach in and have curiosity and creativity and autonomy over their practice. Um, And so I wanted to be able to share that space. And what's interesting right now is that I'm not returning to the physical space until probably spring of 2021, just expecting a little one and then taking a little bit of a maternity leave during COVID. Yeah. Um, So that's an interesting twist is owning a business that I'm not actually in the physical space of. Um, but that we have created this environment and this team that we feel really lucky and confident with that they can carry on our values in the space. That's pretty amazing. Didn't this all stem from him, Ryan, your husband, reading a book and just having this like life shift of like, I am not made to stay in corporate America forever. Yes. So he read the books, um, start with why by Simon Sinek. I think that's the name of it. Um, and then he actually took a course by Simon Sinek and it's all about finding your why. And his why was wanting to create a space for people to come together. Um, and for, for his wife, for me to be able to grow my community and grow educational practices. And he saw so much passion behind me and he really wanted to push that. And on the coffee side, he loves nothing more than being behind the bar. And like, I call him Mr. Roscoe Village. He could sit <laughs> anyone for a really long time, but you see him in his passion. Um, and it's, it's been really lovely. I think like we asked, um, what's one of the best thing that that's come out of this is that we're both doing what we love. And when you're doing what you love, it's, it's easy to be happy and yeah. the stressful parts of it become less stressful. Um, the biggest challenge that we have is that, you know, we sit down and from the get go, I, the reason I didn't want to own a business is I didn't want to do the business side. I wanted to teach Pilates, continue to learn, share my knowledge. And I didn't really want to do the the books and the accounting. And he does that. Um, so it's the challenge is us sitting down together and, and making me do that, that part of the stuff that I don't love to do. Um, and collaborating on those two things together. Well, I hear that. I mean, I think that's part of a small business that people don't see. There are some, you know, nuts and bolts, stressful things um, that go into it. But I will just say I would be your best customer if I lived in Chicago because <laughs> that coffee idea um, and just looking at your space, it's, it just looks so beautiful. Thank you. And we'll make sure to link all these good resources. That book, It Starts With Why from Simon Sinek, he just has such a good way with words, especially for people who've been in corporate America and you're trying to figure out like, what else is there for me? I know after reading that book, that's one of the reasons why this podcast completely started. And when we started talking about that book, I'm like, Abby's going to have to comment on this because she also finds it to be a life-changing book. He might be the first guy that comes on our podcast. Oh, please, Simon, please. That would be amazing. And because you do so much, you are owning Pilates and coffee, you're a Lululemon ambassador, you have continued education that you take on yourself and you offer it to others. You're a wife, you're a mom, you're keeping your own workouts front of mind. Like you do a lot of things. 
So on this podcast, we like to get really, really tactical and give tangible advice and things that people can take away with them today. So please tell us what's your best advice for how you really navigate all of this. There it, I try to think about this a lot. I'm like, how do we do this? So I think the biggest thing is having a business partner, my husband, who does the things that I don't enjoy doing. Like I said, if you love what you're doing, you're going to, you're going to do well at it. So the things I love doing is I love teaching Pilates and I love educating others on Pilates to become Pilates teachers and in perinatal work. And if you do the things that you're passionate about, you're going to find time for them. So yes, I teach and I have educational programs. Um, and then being a Lululemon ambassador is, is another thing. And there's some commitments with that and exercise. So for me, if I continue to do things I'm passionate about, they come pretty easy. It's when I start to take on things and stretch myself in ways that I'm pushing that I'm like, oh, I could do this, but I don't let myself sit on it long enough. Um, to really be 110% behind it. And I think that's where people start to stretch themselves too thin is they, they don't let themselves simmer on projects for long enough before tackling them and they just dive in without the full plan. So anytime I have a plan, I sit down with Ryan and I share with him to make sure that he's on board and can help you know watch William and help take on a little bit more of the business if I'm going to dive into something deeper. Um, and sleep, sleep is huge. That's the biggest anxiety I have about having a second is going back to knowing I'm going to have less sleep, but I'm typically in my bed at nine 15 every night and asleep by no later than 10 so that I can wake up at five and get at least seven hours, five 30, um, to get exercise in before the day starts. And I come downstairs off of the Peloton or come off of, you know, outside of doing a workout. And Ryan's like, you are buzzing. Like you have so much energy. And I know that I need that fuel everything I'm doing. And people talk about, and you guys have definitely heard this because I view both of you this way, but that superwoman syndrome. And it's not really a compliment when someone says it. It's usually said kind of like, oh, look at her, she's superwoman. But everybody has a different threshold of stress. And I'm somebody who I function well under a lot of good stress. So if I don't have a lot of good stress, a lot of balls in the air, I actually find that I'm less productive. Um, I do much better with a schedule and having, you know, time allocated to certain things. And then when I do, I'm really present with my son because I know that's my time with him. I loved your answer. And when Abby was reading off all the things you do, I was like, holy cow, that's a lot. But I, I know that if someone listed the things I do, it would be similar. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like a lot when you say it, but when you're living and you're doing these things that you absolutely love and are passionate about, it doesn't feel like that. Like it doesn't feel like this tall task list necessarily. It feels like I'm mainly living in a flow state of like, I'm really happy I'm on this podcast interview right now. Um, so that definitely spoke to me. And one thing that you and I have a shared passion for is prenatal and postpartum fitness and that period in a woman's life. Like we're often sending each other notes about it. Um, it's something we talk about. Can you tell our listeners, what makes you passionate about helping women through that phase of their life? And then if you could just dive into what is some of your best advice for women that are in that season? 
So I think my background in teaching Pilates, and I also have taught some other formats, some hit formats over the past 10 years. And the Pilates is really interesting because I teach a lot of one-on-ones. And if you've ever done a Pilates session, it's very intimate. um, And clients always say like afterwards, even if you didn't talk a lot, like it feels like therapy, movement therapy. So when people are moving and they feel comfortable, right? you know, some emotional things will come out. They'll start to share some, some stories. And I was working a lot with pre and postnatal women and they would start to talk about these issues they were having, um, incontinence, prolapse, um, just overall fatigue, pain, nagging hamstring problems that wouldn't go away. Um, and I started to ask them, you know, what did you do during your pregnancy? What did postpartum recovery look like? And then on the flip side in the hit classes I was teaching, I would have women come up to me and be like, I am so happy it's dark in this room. I pee my pants every class. And I would be like, that's not not a good thing. And they'd be like, well, I'm just going to wait till I'm done having babies and then I'll deal with it. And this was before I had a child. I was like, I don't, I I don't want to do that. And I don't think that's something we should be dealing with. I find that to be probably quite embarrassing and, and uncomfortable. Right. Um, and so when I got pregnant with William, I had gone through a prenatal certification in my early twenties and it was wonderful. And I definitely remember sitting there as an early 20 year old, when she told me that the, that your cervix, you dilate from the inside of a bagel to a bagel. I mean, I think I almost passed out. I took the same course and she had that visual. (laughs) Remember that? So I think, you know, I've come a long way since then. A 23 year old hearing that you're like never having children. And now I'm like, this is amazing. And how do I help myself get to the bagel comfortably? (laughs) Um, So when I got pregnant with William, I really started deep diving into what are the things I should be doing and shouldn't be doing, not just based off of that certification, but actually what's happening to the physical body and how do we regulate pressure and why does this incontinence happen afterwards that so many women have? So when I was pregnant with him, I, I started really deep diving. And then postpartum, I knew that I had had to, I'm using air quotes, had to, I had qualified for the Boston marathon two weeks before conceiving William. And for those of you who are runners, you know, that when you qualify in Chicago, you don't run it that spring, thank goodness, because I was pregnant, but you would run it the following spring. So I was like, great. I've trained years to qualify for Boston. And this will be good. Good. My son will be 10 months old by the time the Boston Marathon comes around. I'll have time to recover and I can run it. Um, and Amy, you're a runner, so you know, um, running a marathon is very taxing on your body, <laughs> emotionally, physically, everything. So I knew that if my goal was to run a marathon 10 months postpartum, that I really needed to take the steps to recover in the right manner. And that, and I teach this to anyone I teach prenatal to, but you have to take the steps to recover appropriately so that you don't take steps backwards. And I know it can be really hard for women to be patient postpartum and they want to, you know, you get cleared and at six weeks they want to start running. But if you start running at six weeks, the likelihood of injury or prolapse or incontinence creeps up and up and up. And then you take steps backwards and now you can't run until you're five, six, seven months postpartum. So That's where I really started to dive deep was how can I train for this marathon without taking steps backwards? 
Well, yeah, that's one thing you and I talk about. It's like, and and to be honest, for me, I kind of had to go through the journey a couple times to understand. But after Cole, my third, it this has been the slowest I've taken it. And not because of symptoms or anything in the, of that manner, but it's like the more you know. And I'm like, if I just do this right and take it slow, um, I'm going to get further and feel better while I'm doing it. And I just wish there wasn't that pressure for women to, quote unquote, bounce back because um, they can really just get themselves kind of in a pickle. Yeah. The, the bouncing back, I want society to remove that term so badly and talk about healing and recovering. We only have one body and you and your sister do such a good job sharing information about this, but we need to just take steps forward. And it's really about managing pressure and giving ourselves space and being kind to a body that just grew a child for nine, 10 months. Um, And I think people really just overlook that once the baby's out of the body, they kind of look at their body as kind of this discarded vessel, right? The the baby's gone. Mm -hmm. And now I just need to be myself again. Um, And like you said, it, it takes time and being patient with that can be really hard, but let's just keep moving the body forward and, and building a stronger base to be stronger than we were potentially before. Well, especially after your first, and Amy's mentioned this before, we we both have this same type of mentality of it's been easier and easier to take more time off after each subsequent pregnancy because you know how long it takes to actually recover and you don't want to have any of the um, the mishaps that you brought up. So switching gears a little bit, I know that you're willing to open up about the struggles that you face with getting pregnant with your second baby. So you're now right at the end of your second trimester, 27 weeks pregnant. Did you experience any of these challenges while you were trying to conceive William, your first? So this is actually the first time I'm going to share about this. So thank you for giving me a safe space to do so. I've, I've shared a little bit on my Instagram that this wasn't, this wasn't easy getting here. And I think it's really important um, to share that because I think people look at health, someone as healthy, seeing somebody who's fit and healthy um, as being fertile and that they would just assume that this was easy for me. Um, so with our son, um, we did not have any problems. I got pregnant. I think I mentioned this earlier, right after the marathon, which I didn't think would be possible. A lot of times, you know, women suffer from amenorrhea when they're running a lot and my cycle was really spread out. Um, we had found out some information about my husband's numbers and my numbers prior to conceiving William. So it was kind of one of those Like I had gone in for some testing and didn't go back to my doctor to talk about it until weeks later when I walked in and she was like, I I actually can't believe you're here and you're pregnant. Um, So that was really, really lucky. I think anytime people get pregnant without any help is very lucky. Um, And then when William was about 15, 16 months old, we decided that um, we could potentially start trying again. I wanted the business to be at least two years old. Um, and the first month that we tried, um, I, we conceived, I didn't really realize we had conceived. Um, and then about, I thought I got my period a week later, I got a period again. And I was like, this is very odd. Um, so I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. So at that point I was like four and a half, five weeks along and, I knew that it wasn't right. And I kind of just brushed it off. I called the doctor and went in for the test and they were like, yep, your numbers are coming down rapidly. And I kind of chalked it up like, 
we're really lucky. I must be pretty fertile. I got pregnant. Um, so that was November of 2018. And then it took a while after that miscarriage to get my cycle back, which at that point I was just like, you know, this, that wasn't meant to be. Um, so we had gone like three or four months of trying, and then we went to the doctor and did some testing and we were getting ready to, um, have an HSG procedure done, which is basically they kind of go in and they rotor your fallopian tubes. And then a lot of women get pregnant afterwards. They were like, everybody looks numbers look okay. Let's just give this a go. And again, we went in to do blood work for that. And I was, I was pregnant. So I was really excited about that pregnancy, and that was April of 2019, yeah, um, around seven and a half weeks. So last June, we were getting home from the park, and I came in the house, and I had started bleeding. Didn't think much of that. Um, I had spotting with William, and I just called the doctor. I was like, you know, I'm spotting a little bit, and I had gotten Rogam shot, so if anybody... Um, is a different blood type than your husband, the RH factor, negative or positive. You have to get them um, when you deliver your first and then with subsequent pregnancy. So I went in, thought nothing of it, and they did an ultrasound and found that there was no fetal pole. So there was no heartbeat. They, The ultrasound tech was like, you know, your due date could be off a little bit. Sit for 12 days and come back. Well, anybody who's pregnant or trying to get pregnant, when you go in and you're supposed to see something and it's not there and they say, come back, um, those 12 days were the longest 12 days of my life. Um, I was spotting, I was bleeding, and I would call the nurses and doctors and they were just like, you have to wait because it could be just some women spot and bleed during their pregnancies. It could be this... um, subchorionic bleed, like a little bruise on your uterus. So I waited and then we went back at nine weeks and there was no heartbeat. Um, that was really, really devastating at that time. Um, we, it was right at my son's second birthday and I was devastated. So we had to have a DNC at that point and kind of wait and see, was it my uterus? Was it, we did genetic testing and kind of go from there So at that point, I was in a pretty dark place, but I, if you know me, I'm, I'm a, a strong-willed person and and I took a few days off work and I kind of picked my head up and I, I tried to live life normally and just have this thing on the side. Um, and it, it, it didn't go well. Um, I was able to like make it through sessions and everything, but I was just kind of waiting for doctors to call with, with answers. And so At that point, I started a gratitude practice, which I've mentioned um, on my Instagram, to try to focus on the positive things in my life. I have a beautiful child. I have a lovely husband. I was healthy despite what had just happened, and I have a a thriving business. But when you're in this place of, of loss and grief, it's really hard to see around it. Um, and so waking up every day and starting off writing down three things I'm grateful for helped me live in the present day versus looking into the next two weeks when I got to go in for the next blood work, when I got to go in for the next phase that whatever it was we were going to decide to do. Um, and somebody recently told me that grief is love that has nowhere to go. And they just said that to me a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's grief. Grief is love that has nowhere to go. I had all this love for this 
baby that I was supposed to be having and it had nowhere to go. So it becomes sadness. This is a really, really tough subject. Um, But as we all know, like there's just so many women that go through miscarriage. So we just have to thank you for sharing um, that part of your journey because it's one that kind of gets put in a closet and it doesn't get talked about, but there's so many women that go through it and they feel alone in that. Um, So as you were talking about, you had two in a row before that before you were able to get pregnant with this little baby that's on the way. So can you talk about how that has impacted um, your current pregnancy and maybe a little bit more um, giving us the light on how you were able to conceive this, this little one? Um, so we found out um, there was a genetic issue with the second loss um, and everyone's going to make their own decision. And I don't think we can ever judge anyone for how they decide to go along with their fertility journey. Um, I, I decided that I just couldn't handle going through this on my own anymore. And I wanted to mitigate as much risk as possible. So by using IVF, you can do genetic testing to mitigate the risk. So we could lower the chances of another loss. It's not going to take it away. IVF is really invasive. Um, I'm happy to, to share as much or as little um, as you guys want. And, and people can reach out to me or message me to learn more. Um, it's, it's a hard journey emotionally, physically, on um, financially, it's a lot on everybody. So we worked with a doctor um, and I started the IVF process to lower the risk of another miscarriage in September of 2019. So we did an egg retrieval then. And the hardest part for me was telling me that you can't exercise during any of this. And exercise is my way that I cope with stress as, as I think both Abby and you both do. Mm -hmm. So you can't exercise. And I went about teaching and you're, you're pretty uncomfortable. Um, So we did an egg retrieval in September, and then we did our first transfer in November. So I actually had a third loss in November. Um, The retrieval or the transfer worked, and then it didn't. So it's called a spontaneous miscarriage. Um, So I it hooked in the baby, the embryo stuck, and then it didn't. And that one was actually the hardest one for me because I was like, we've done all of these things, and this was a quote unquote, perfect embryo with the best grading and, you know, everybody's watching it and then it didn't stick. So after that, um, you know, I was approaching the second due date of the second loss and I spoke to a therapist who told me that dates mean nothing. They're something that we put on the calendar and they actually hold no meaning. And I hope that people take that away when we start looking at loss and we start looking at these timelines that we put on our life, they actually mean nothing and they should hold no weight. So giving myself permission to let these dates come and go of when things were supposed to be happening was really, really helpful. So we did another transfer in January and that one worked. And when Amy mentioned talking about this pregnancy, it's been a really different experience. I say ignorance is bliss in the best way. With William, I went to every doctor's appointment with my head up high, like I can't wait to see this baby and hear this heartbeat. And with this pregnancy, I wake up in the morning and I I'm, I look down and I ask her to move. Um, and every 
every appointment I, I go in and I, I do hold my breath a little bit and my husband can't come with me, which makes it even more challenging. And people ask how I'm getting through COVID and the quarantine and everything. And I say, I just feel really, really grateful because a year ago at this time I was alone. And Amy mentioned this, that miscarriage and loss is really lonely. Um, and right now everybody's going through this pandemic together and I'm very thankful we're all going through it together. Um, because we can share what we're going through. We can share about the hardships of business and marriage and taking care of our children. But loss is something that nobody was going through with me at the time. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm anxious in this pregnancy, but feeling so very grateful every day that, that she's moving inside my body and that, you know, I'm healthy. And despite there's a pandemic going on, I have a lot of positive things in my life. Jacqueline, we're over here just like tearing up listening to these pieces of your story and just like I'm holding my own bump right now just thinking about all the things that you're saying and how they resonate not only with people who have gone through a loss who might be looking at going through fertility treatments right now, um, any woman who is pregnant during a pandemic, like all of that just resonated so much. So during this whole process, are there any other tips or things that you can tell to women who might be going through a really tough time, either with loss or being pregnant right now that has helped you? Um, see a therapist. Yeah. It's yeah. way too long to go. And to be honest, I only went one time, but in that room, I, I walked in and I, I don't even think I said anything before I sat on her couch and cried for an hour. Um, I think you know, I would have moments of crying and no, no detriment to my husband. I love him, but men don't experience loss the same way that women do. And I felt very alone in that relationship as far as, you know, he'd be like, we're moving forward. You know, we're going to do this next transfer. And I was still sitting in my loss and not ready to move on from it. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to grieve and to share our story with other people. Um, and sometimes ask your friends. I mean, I had a dear friend who I'd be like, I'm going to need you to come over and we're going to walk and I'm not going to talk to you for an hour, but I need you to hold my hand and let's like, let's just breathe for an hour and walk together or come over and talk to me about something that has nothing to do with this. Or I need to talk to you about this for an hour. And I don't want you to tell me this is okay. <laughs> Cause it wasn't, you know, it wasn't okay at the time. So I think you need to figure out a way to ask people in your life for what you need or tell them what you don't need. The moments I know um, Amy and I talked about this and Abby, you mentioned this at the beginning, I think before we were recording, but people ask you, you know, when are you going to have your second? Are you guys, you know, planning to have more children? And, and all you want to say to those people when they ask you that is you, you actually want to look them in the face and say, well, I just had my second miscarriage. So right, not right now to be blatantly honest and just make them feel kind of badly for asking you in a way to like kind of bring them to your place. And I had to remind myself all the time, like they don't, they don't mean anything by it. It's a lighthearted question. Um, but to all the women who are going through this struggle and you get asked that, I feel your pain. And it just takes a moment to kind of swallow it and be like, you know, we're, we're in it right now. And there actually is nothing wrong by looking at those people and being like, that, that question is actually really upsetting. This is really hard. Um, right. And that, made, that actually would make me feel a lot better in those moments. Well, yeah, I think 
it was what you were saying is you are such a healthy, active woman, like kind of a picture of health. And so our society tends to assume, especially since you do also have, you know, a three-year-old little boy that people have the ability to get pregnant when they want to get pregnant. I know my sister-in-law went through something similar where the topic of conversation at the time in our family gatherings was babies because a lot of people were entering that season and having babies and people would always ask her, when are you guys going to have a baby? And she had to, with our family, be really honest. And she said, we've been trying for a year, you guys, this is really hard for me. Um, like, please stop asking that question. Yeah. I don't know why you're you're able to be so strong and I'm over here crying about this, but it's just like that really can be a trigger for women. And if we can all just be a little bit more thoughtful when we're, you know, we don't have to ask those questions to each other because some people are struggling. I think that was my biggest thing and something that changed me from this whole experience is I became a very empathetic person. And when clients would come in and they were having a bad day, instead of me being like, why are they not being so friendly? Or maybe, what did I say? I stood back from the conversation and I would just take a breath and say, I wonder what happened to them before they walked in this door. And it really started to change a lot of my relationships with my clients and my friends being so much more empathetic and and really understanding that we don't know what's happening in someone else's life. And you might be able to ask those deep questions and they might not want to be able to share, but to give people space can be the biggest gift you can give them. That's, that was my biggest learning from all of this is empathy and compassion. The, the thing that gets really tricky is we've spoken about that I'm a perinatal. I, I work mostly with pre and postnatal women and you know, I would feel bad sharing with people if they would ask that I had lost because a lot of pregnant women get really anxious when they hear that. Right. Um, and so, you know, I would share with the ones that I was comfortable about, but what's more hurtful to somebody who's going through this, at least I felt is that when people try to hide information from you or they, they stop sharing with you to protect you. Um, and that becomes a really lonely place as well. So I think we just have to be really sensitive to women who are of the age of conception and um, ask them, you know, if you're in that place with them, like, are you comfortable talking about this? Would you like to hear what's going on in my life? Um, And then on the flip side saying like, I'd love to learn more about your journey or right now I'm not comfortable and having just a really open dialogue with the people in your circle um, so that everybody can, can make each other more comfortable, um, and feel safe. Jacqueline, thank you so much for sharing all of this and sharing both sides of it and what we can do as a friend of somebody who's going through this type of loss, but also as somebody who might be experiencing this right now. These really are the hard conversations that we want to open up on this podcast. So your vulnerability literally means the world to us. I have to like get my composure here before we go on to the next question. Thank you for giving me a, a, a safe place to share it. Oh, completely. So let's shift gears. 
just like you and Amy, I've always been a person that enjoys physical activity. You're talking about the marathons at the beginning. I'm like, okay. And I just wanted to ask, what made you so passionate about Pilates? And what do you think makes it so beneficial? So just like so many other women, I'm kind of addicted to the workouts that really get your heart pumping. So thinking running, triathlon, any type of lifting. And I honestly, I'm biting my tongue here, but I honestly don't think of yoga and Pilates as a workout, but more of a recovery day or kind of what you talked about at the beginning as like a supplement to your workouts. This does come with the caveat that I've never actually done Pilates. So (laughs) I'm going to say that right away, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I... I hear all of that. So you're talking to someone and I met Amy. She was personal training someone I had worked for and I started working out with her and like running and Amy and I are both very competitive people. And at the end of our runs, we would sprint the last two blocks and like it was an unspoken, we were racing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I love to sweat. That is like my favorite thing. Nothing makes me feel better than that. And what I really started to see as we age, and I mean, I'm 34, I don't consider myself old, but we definitely feel the effects of aging. I think after the age of like 22, um, that you can't, and it's not responsible to hit it 110% six or seven days a week. What you start to see is your performance goes down. You start to see fatigue happen in other areas of your life. Um, and your workouts aren't as good and you don't feel as strong. Like, nothing feels worse than going into like a really hard workout. Even if you're just going for a seven mile run and you're used to running like a seven 30 and you look down and you're running like eight forties, right? You look down, you feel it defeated. So what I started to find is that when we start to rein back these high intensity workouts from five days a week to three days a week, and we start to sprinkle in things like Pilates, strength training, yoga, other things like that, you start to see that you can give 100% at those hard-hitting workouts and you get better results and you feel stronger, right? You actually do get stronger because you're giving yourself time to recover. So there are aspects of Pilates that are 100% recovery, but through the use of the springs and the equipment at the studio, you can use Pilates as strength training and you can use it to build endurance. Um, And so it becomes this supplement, but it becomes its own workout. And what I tell people is that you have to do the work in Pilates. You have to start out with the fundamentals and learn how to actually move your body muscles working so that the larger muscles aren't compensating for everything. People who don't come in and take the time to learn the basics, they'll never actually think Pilates is that hard because they'll just be muscling through it. And when you slow down and you learn to activate your transverse and you learn to kick in your your pelvic floor and you start to get into the smaller muscles that support your spine, you start to build uniform strength throughout your body. And then the workouts actually become more challenging because these smaller intrinsic muscles fire and you start to get stronger in an overall way and less pain and less fatigued in your big workouts. So I see it as, you know, you have to start slow and build it. And then it's kind of like the reward for doing all the hard work is getting to do these big, fun exercises on the equipment or without the equipment. Um, I know a lot of people take mat Pilates and they're like, eh, it's okay. Or it really bugged my neck because they're just curling their neck. And when you start to get into the details of the work, 
those classes get really, really challenging. So Abby, I'm going to send you a video on <laughs> demand on Pilates and coffee that you can buy videos at, but I'm going to send you one. Um, and I'm going to ask you to go through it a few times and I would love your feedback afterwards of what you experience. That's awesome. And even as you said it, I'm like, when I'm doing yoga, I'm not activating all those things. I'm doing downward dog and probably just like trying to look like everyone else does, but I'm not getting the same workout that you're probably instructing on. <laughs> yeah. It takes a little bit of patience to get there and it's, it's very rewarding. And my clients who are those hard hitting people, when they finally slow down, it usually takes them getting injured to kind of rein back and come in. Um, they look forward to it because it just feels so good and it's also so challenging. Well, yeah. And I think there, when you were talking, something that came to my mind is just maturing in your workouts as you're aging. So none of us are getting younger, but I've definitely found, I used to be a girl a hundred percent. I thought I could work out hard five days a week, you know, all of the things. And now I've felt it's it's never been easier to maintain my health in the way I want things right now because I am giving myself the rest. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you have to kind of go through it to understand like, oh, my body actually can look super strong and it doesn't, I don't have to do five days a week of a super intense thing. I think it takes women for some reason a while to shift their mind to that. Totally. And one thing I noticed, like when you're saying, Amy, like doing less and feeling stronger is this pregnancy has been very different. And I couldn't work out for essentially the first three months of this pregnancy. I was able to like, my doctor was like, you can like walk to dinner. I was like, oh, I've been like walking my dog for an hour. And I think he thought that was too much. Um, <laughs> is that I started off in a really different place. I came off of a marathon pregnant with William, but what I've learned through my studies and my certification is that in pregnancy, we need the body to stretch and be supple to create space and, you know, let this baby come out of our body in a, in an, a way with ease, right? So that our pelvic floor can relax and all of that stuff. But my body looks very different than last time, but I feel like it's more comfortable. Like this baby is going to have more room and that my body is letting itself be pregnant easier than last time where I felt like my body was kind of holding on to, you know, this tightness and this strength. That is a beautiful way to say it. And I think it goes back to American women and us always being in this rush and wanting things to be as efficient as they possibly can be. Um, so now I know that you're very mindful of your health. You have been as long as I've known you. Can you tell us what are a few of the health pillars that you absolutely live by? Sleep. <laughs> That's the biggest one. When there's time for it, sleep. Um, nothing, nothing can heal you like sleep can. Um, getting movement every day and like Abby and you, we've, we've talked about, like, we love those hard hitting workouts, but even 30 minutes, get outside. I know between my virtual clients for me, I need a break from my screen, getting outside and walking for 30 minutes. We have to move our bodies daily. It helps with circulation. It helps with all the different aspects of our health. So sleep and movement and 
taking control over what we're eating, not being controlling as of like counting calories or anything like that, but being mindful about what we're putting into our bodies as a, as far as like finding balance and really eating. We eat a lot of plants in our house. That's kind of the way we live our life, but you know, taking note after you eat a meal, do I feel sluggish after I ate this meal? Do I feel energized after I ate this meal? And we, I call it intuitive eating that I don't really put any rules around the way I eat, but it's, what am I hungry for? How did I feel after I ate that meal and taking note and moving forward from there? I feel like we're soulmates in this area. Um, I really, those, those are my pillars. Um, I feel like I could ask you a million more questions, but I know we can't keep everyone here forever. Um, But you and I have some really good ideas of ways we can collaborate in the future. So I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on to herself and sharing your story and your expertise. And I would love it if you could let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for, for having me. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram. It's my name, Jacqueline dash Brennan. Um, and then you can find my website. It's Pilates and We have lots of virtual classes happening. We plan on having one per day. Um, even though the studio is back up and running for classes this week, we're going to keep the virtual thing going. I offer two perinatal classes weekly. Um, So that's for anybody who's pregnant or postpartum and doesn't feel like they've fully recovered, whether that's six weeks postpartum, six years postpartum. So those are the two major places you can find me as of right now. So thank you guys so much for having me. I can't tell you what a joy this was. I wish I lived in Chicago. All of those things sound so good right now, especially as we welcome our third baby. But thank you again. And also for being so open about a variety of topics. So for anyone who's listening, who might be in a season of waiting for a child, maybe they're looking to build a business, maybe you're in Chicago and you're wanting to try a new workout or that perfect cup of coffee, just I highly recommend that you take a look at Jacqueline and also Pilates and Coffee. 